You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 11. Before you stand, though, and before my brothers and sisters start the clock on me, um, let me say this to you. We've been in a season here where we're trying to understand the heart of the king. And we're using the life of David. I am firmly convinced that David's life and everything in it, it happened the way it happened so that we could learn what it means to truly seek after God. To learn David's life is to learn the journey that we're all on and what it takes to experience God in his utmost. It is a powerful story And there are life lessons to be learned here for imperfect people like you and me who are desperate to grow in grace and holiness. Now, that's the unknown variable, how desperate we are for Jesus, how desperate we are to grow. The share week that we're having this week, that's part of it. If we are truly desperate for God, we will be desperate to serve him gladly. We need to be looking for those opportunities because this world needs people like you and me, desperate for God and excited about the glory that he's gonna bring to his people. So this morning, we're going to talk about One of the issues, if you will, one of the last issues that we all have to deal with if we're serious about really being used of God, and that is we need to see how strongholds fall, what it takes to get rid of the sin that is deeply entrenched in your heart. We need to learn how to get rid of that sin so that we can be the saints God wants us to be. And so if you will stand with me as we stand together on the solid rock of God's word, we're in 1 Chronicles 11, 1 Chronicles 11 and verse 4, 1 Chronicles 11 verse 4, let's hear what God's word has to say. Now we're going to skip over to chapter 14 here in a minute, so if you want to be thinking that way, you can move there with me. Verse 4, and David and all Israel went to Jerusalem. That is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. The inhabitants of Jebus said to David, you will not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. David said, whoever strikes the Jebusites first shall be chief and commander. And Joab, the son of Zariah, went up first, so he became chief. And David lived in the stronghold. Therefore, it was called the city of David. And he built the city all around from the millow in complete circuit. And Joab repaired the rest of the city. And David became greater and greater. For the Lord of hosts. Now, this particular phrase, Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabot, very important for us today. The Lord of hosts was with him. Now, I want you to sneak over into verse 10 there. Notice this. Now, these are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Now, there's a reason why I've added that next paragraph, that first sentence of the next paragraph you'll see in a minute. Now, turn over to chapter 14. 
And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees also, masons and carpenters, to build a house for him. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people, Israel. Now I'm going to tie all that together here in just a minute, but let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Lord, Truly, will you tie it all together for us today and draw us nearer to you? God, we want to learn what it's going to take to defeat the sin in our hearts. And we know, Lord, that that means war. Prepare us for this spiritual warfare and prepare us, God, for a glorious future serving you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When we come to the Holy Scriptures, especially the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures, what we find very quickly is those Scriptures are filled with stories about war and warfare. In fact, this morning I was in the book of Genesis uh, there in chapter 14, and it was talking about war amongst the kings there that Abram had to get involved in. And so even this morning in my private time of study, I'm reading about war. But here's the thing, even in a passage dealing with war, that's the very passage where Melchizedek shows up and he is the king of peace he is the king of righteousness and so I believe that God is always trying to lead us to peace but when we read the narrative of the Bible we often see war as long as there is sin in the world there will be war and hear this let me bring that down to you and to me as long as sin is in your heart there will be war there also As long as sin remains, there will be a battle for your heart. Sin, it digs in. Let me tell you, it builds strongholds. That's what we're talking about here today, strongholds. And if you notice in the text, we have a very specific stronghold mentioned, a castle, a fortification right there in the center of Jerusalem. And so we need to realize that that is an image of what we have to prepare for, prepare our hearts for in the walk of life that we're in. Yes, the Bible speaks frequently about war because God is preparing us for the fight of our lives. And I might say God is preparing us for the fight of our souls and we cannot ignore this fight. We can't ignore it. You know, it's kind of like this. If you come home at the uh, end of a long day and you go to the mailbox and you pull out some mail and you notice there's two or three bills that you really don't want to open. You know what's inside the envelope and you know you're not going to like it when you see the number. Now you can ignore that all you want. You can hide it anywhere you want. You can throw it in the trash if you choose, but that's not going to cause it to go away. It lingers. The Jebusites were kind of like that bill. They had been lingering there in Jerusalem for 400 years. Now, this is the truth. There were, uh, there were people in, in Joshua's day, there were soldiers in Caleb's day that were called to go out and take over the Holy Land, but they didn't remove every pocket of resistance. There were some of the Canaanites that stayed behind and the Jebusites are an example of that. We could even say they are a 400-year-old past due bill and David has to pay it. 
I don't think it's any accident that this bill, this last little bit that had to be taken care of was right in the center of Israel. It was in Jerusalem itself, the very city where God wanted to plant his people. You see, your biggest challenges in life are always going to be heart problems. And that's what this passage is teaching us. Think about it. When the Jebusites fell, it is in that moment that the promise that God gave to, uh, to Abram way back in Genesis 15 finally comes to fruition. It took all these years. Let me tell you, the fight against sin is a big deal. But I'm going to ask you this morning, in your fight against sin, are you still fighting it or have you given up? What promises of the Lord are left undone in your life? It's time to go to war against your sins. It is time to get serious about God and knowing him more. And I hope to show you in this passage how we can do that. First and foremost, we have to be careful about the words that are out there. Don't let words of hate permeate. Don't let words of hate permeate into your heart. What do I mean by this? Well, the Jebusites are an interesting uh, analogy here. They had been successful in keeping out the Hebrew people out of this citadel for many, many years, literally centuries. And success like that breeds confidence, but it also breeds arrogance. Pride will put blinders on reason. I wonder how many of us, because of our pride, We've not been able to really hear the word of God. We assume that we know what's best and we don't really listen to what God is saying. And sometimes it's hard to listen to what God is saying because the world has a voice too and that voice can be loud and obnoxious. If you don't believe me, just watch a couple of videos on Facebook and you'll see what I'm saying. Loud and obnoxious. Light on facts, heavy on verbiage. We need to understand that this world is always going to be attacking our hearts and, and, and trying to permeate down deep into the essence of our being, pulling us away from God, pulling us away from where we need to be. Now, the Jebusites, notice here in verse five, they're up there on their wall and they're pointing down at David and his men and they say, you will not come in here. Now, the writer of First Chronicles is putting it nicely, but if we go back to 2 Samuel 5, 6, which I'm gonna show you right here, here's what they actually said. You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off. That's got a little bit of sass to it. The writer of First Chronicles, you know, he just gives us the shorter version, and in Samuel, we get the full thing. The Jebusites were ornery. They were confident. And you know what? They had good reason to be confident. When you've been successful for 400 years, you probably think that nobody can touch you. I mean, for heaven's sake, the Yankees have had a couple good decades and they're as arrogant as any baseball team could ever be. And that's just a couple decades of success. Imagine 400 years of success. And so they were mouthy. They were hateful. And they assumed that David and his men couldn't do 
anything about it. One of the features that we don't see here in First Chronicles, but we see in the account in Samuel, is that the Jebusite city had one weakness. And there was a water shaft that, that went up into their city. It was the back door, as it were. David, by, by providence, by God's will, knew about that. And he knew that he needed to send one person, one mighty warrior. We'll talk about that in a minute, about what a mighty warrior is all about. But he needed to get a guy up there to infiltrate, to get on the inside, and then the whole thing would collapse. The passage tells us that that man was Joab, and Joab ended up being uh, the chief of all his soldiers. But before we talk much more about the battle, let's go back and think about the power of words. Most believers don't get into Christian ministry. They never get on the front lines of the battle because the words of the enemy and the words of the world keep them from ever getting to the front line. Many of us are discouraged before we ever get to the fight. Because we've allowed the words of hate in the world to permeate us, to scare us, to make us think that we are outmatched and outgunned. The world loves to make you think that. But God has something better to speak to our hearts. We need to understand God's word is a better word. If you choose to follow God's word, listen to this. The world will have words with you. And those words will not be kind. I've been preparing my daughter for her university days since she was a little girl. I knew from the time she was little, she was going to go off to the, to, to the great big world. And she was going to run into worldviews and philosophies very different than what her father had taught her. I wanted to prepare her for the war of words. And it's, it is, it's a powerful thing. The two of us, I'm so glad she's at home. Uh, her school didn't even let any freshmen or sophomores even on the campus. And so instead of moving to Chicago, daddy gets to hold on to his little girl a little longer. Amen, amen, amen. All right. And I'm holding on to her tight because we're having these conversations. And I'm telling you, the, the, the war of, of words is real. And the enemy is always trying to discourage us. But here's the deal. The enemy, the, the, the devil, Satan himself, he is trying to keep us from ever getting into the battle. As long as words are good enough to keep you down, he'll keep giving you negative words. At some point, you've got to overcome those words. Now, I've been talking about words like out there in the great big world. But what about this? What about the words that come out of your mouth that lead to strongholds? You see, sometimes we're looking for all the evil words out there, but we're the ones on the way to church who said discouraging words to our family members. I tell you what, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, there is no better, there's no more likely time for an argument in your family than Sunday morning. There is, no, there is no better time for there to be a disagreement than on Sunday morning. And I'll tell you why. The devil knows that if he can discourage you with words before you get to worship, you will not worship. And I wonder if some of us this morning need to go and ask for apologies some unsanctified words we've allowed to come out of our mouth that came from our hearts. Friends, sometimes we're guilty of building or causing there to be built strongholds in people's lives. 
Friends, we have to understand the power of words. And the world uses those words, but what they can't calculate, what is not figured into their calculus, is the power of God. The people of God must tune their ears to the word of God so that the world's words of hate do not discourage us. The only way to tune out the words of the world is to fill your heart with the words of God. You are going to allow one word or the other to fill your heart. Let's let it be God's word, amen? Second point, if you want to get rid of these citadels, if you want to get rid of these strongholds, we need to next realize this, the mighty must supply support. I added in that verse 10 because I wanted you to see there that there were more than just one, uh, there was more than just one great man in Israel. God rose up a whole group of mighty men, we are told, to win the day and to win the land for God's people. David himself was a great warrior. We know this. First Samuel 17, he takes on Goliath and he wins. Even in old age, we find in 2 Samuel 15, when people are talking about David and what he's able to do militarily, he says, uh, those who know him best say, watch out. He's like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. In other words, you tangle with David, you're going to get mauled. Even if he is an old man, he still knows how to use his sword. This guy was a great man of war. But when it came time to get rid of the Jebusites, David knew that he couldn't do the battle. He couldn't fight this fight. The people needed him to stand back and lead, not to be the one on the front line of battle. So that, this is where he says to his people, I need somebody who will strike first. I don't know if any of you are watching the, that, that uh, show that's been out, Cobra Kai. Um, you know, the bad guys in that, they, that's the strike hard, strike first, right? You know, strike first. It came here from David. Anyway, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Obviously, you're not watching that show. But anyway, um, strike first. Now that almost sounds like something the world would say, but in this instance, David needs somebody to be a chief warrior and Joab is that man. Now, if you look over there in verse 10, you'll see that Joab was one of many. And I wanna encourage you this afternoon, especially you guys that like to read about war, um, read what it says there in chapter 11, verses 10 through the end of the chapter, verse 47. It is amazing. Those guys were bad dudes, Okay. They were able to wipe out entire armies. They were strong support. They were mighty men, we're told there in verse 10. It was a time of war. And so God raised up great warriors. Hear this, hear this. Whatever the season is, God has raised up the right kind of people to get the job done. That is without a question. God has the people that he needs at Ridgecrest to do the job. The only question is, will the people at Ridgecrest realize their calling? That's right. There is a need for warriors in this passage and thus God had supplied the need. And the needs we have in our church and our community are great, but I believe that the mighty men and women of God that we need to win the battle, we've got it right here. We've got it right here. And we need to be willing to serve and to be strong. We need to understand this calling because the work of God on earth requires supernatural help. God works through natural men and women to do these supernatural things. And that's what we see here. Some people read this passage and say, oh, this is all mythology and made up. 
if we have time, sometime over a cup of coffee, I'll tell you why I think that's wrong. I, I believe in the ancient world, there were these great heroes. In every culture that I've studied, every mythology that I've looked at, there is a memory of these great warriors. The Greeks had their Hercules and Achilles. Um, we see the great sword masters of Japan and China. Anywhere you look, there are stories of great and mighty warriors, giants of men, maybe not in stature, but in ability. You see, God can do anything. He, again, raises up the right kind of people for just the right time. But here's something interesting. I think if Samson were to walk in here, you wouldn't even know it was him. Now, I go to the gym three, four, five times a week. I know, you know, not exactly look like it, but, but nonetheless, because I'm not, you know, because some of those guys, they literally walk like this. <laughs> yeah, I work out. That's what this means. When elbows are out, that means, yeah, I work out. All right. Samson wouldn't walk in like this. I think he would look like a hundred pound weakling. I, I don't think he looked like much. All the movies show him as a big, you know, weightlifter. I don't think so. I don't think there was anything special about that guy except when the spirit of the Lord got a hold of him, he was undefeatable. And I believe the same is true for us. We put way too much stock in, in looks and appearances. And what we're not depending in is the power of the Holy Spirit. And I am firmly of the belief that the unsung heroes of our church are not the people that are on the stage, but the people like you in the pews who are just doing the work of the kingdom every day as you're called to do. The mighty men and women of the church today are the ones that are not known in the community maybe or, or even in the church, but God knows who you are. This share week is an opportunity for you to be in the place where God wants you to be. The world doesn't need to sing your praises, but I assure you, God needs your services. No strongholds will come down by the effort of one preacher or even a staff of preachers. The strongholds only come down when all of us realize the might we have in the Messiah, the strength we have in the Savior, the ability to overcome any obstacle because of the Spirit at work in us. Don't forget, this church is filled to the brim with amazing servants and champions of the Lord. Finally, our third step in the process here of destroying these strongholds is we must determine to build the city. If you notice in verses seven and eight, as we go past the battle, we get into the aftermath of the battle and that is that David is able to build the city of David. David makes this, this place where the Jebusites had been his home. The stronghold is removed and now David is able to live and rule in relative peace. The peace and prosperity uh, that was in this season here and in Solomon was the only time in these two kingdoms where Israel sort of claimed the promise of God of the promised land. It's the only time sin then begins to take over the hearts of the Israelites and things fall apart from there. But here we see that as David sets up his city, 
God begins to move. I had you look at chapter 14, verse one, because you see that, that foreign governments like the, the kingdom of Tyre, they realize that David is now in this city and that he is doing great things. The Lord had established him as king, we are told, verse two, over Israel, and that his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people, Israel. Even lost pagan people saw the power of God at work. God was honored by David's faithfulness and God honored David. But note that this exaltation did not stop with David. All of his people, the people of Israel were exalted. When we are doing our part, when we are truly building the kingdom, we don't just build up the individual, we build up everybody. There, there's this beautiful picture here of how the faithfulness of an individual impacts positively all of the people of Israel. So here's the truth. When strongholds of sin come down, many souls can be positively impacted. We don't worship and do ministry just so that we feel better about ourselves, but we do it so that we can make an impact on all those around us. As God gets a hold of you, You'll see as your strongholds come down, the strongholds around you will fall also. It is always sin that hinders the work of the body. And it is only holiness that helps the body do its work with power. St. Augustine wrote a book called The City of God. And in it, he shows the difference between a man-made city like Rome and the heavenly city that God wants to build. We are seeing right now in our culture the chaos of what it looks like when you try to build a city for man. But what we are called to do is to build the kingdom of God. The only way we're going to see the city of God built, the only way we're going to have strength and power is if we find those sins in our hearts and have them defeated by the blood of Jesus. We've been singing that this morning already. We need to be washed in the blood. Or like we used to say in Kentucky, washed. That's a proper pronunciation, I do believe. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Washed in the blood, washed in the blood, whatever you want to say, covered in the blood. That's how we build the city. We build the city because of the power of God at work in us. And we need to be thinking about building a church here that honors God and brings glory to the kingdom. But we must commit ourselves fully, completely, diligently to the journey within. Because until that sin is defeated, you will not be strong. You will be beholden to the stronghold. Now for those who do not know the Lord, sin is the ultimate fortress that must be defeated. Only Jesus can break down that wall. And this morning he is asking you to believe in him so that that wall of sin can be infiltrated, permeated, destroyed so that you can be with him forever. But Christian, this message is also aimed at you because even though you're covered in the blood, we have a propensity to wander back into our sins. The reason why is because those Jebusites are pesky and they are hard to get rid of. Those sins that attack you don't go away automatically or easily. It requires a people, a person being on their 
knees before a holy God seeking help from above. It amazes me, brothers and sisters. It shocks me, brothers and sisters, that we understand that we need the cross unto salvation, but what we often forget is we need the cross every day. These strongholds are mighty and powerful. They are, I would guess, dominating some of you and you're letting them dominate you. You are not bringing them to Calvary. You are not allowing Jesus to have full reign in your life. But we don't have to keep that going. Let's break that propensity and let's come on our knees before the Savior. First Chronicles 11.9 Look at it if you have your Bible open. And David became greater and greater for the Lord of hosts was with him. Now I've already told you that that Lord of hosts is Yahweh Sabot. It is a military term. It's a term that gives us the picture of God's military might. A host would have been like a mighty army that you would see stirring up dust, moving in your direction. That's the image of this name of God, Yahweh Sabot. It's the image of the cavalry is coming. The reserves are pouring in. We feel like we've been overwhelmed. The trenches are starting to be overwhelmed by the enemy. But look and behold, the, 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 the help is coming. And we can win. That's the image. And I wonder how many of you, you feel like your life is just falling apart. You're bleeding out and you're dying. I think the scripture is saying to you, I think God is saying to you, I'm on my way. I'm coming. Greatness in God is about nearness to God. And he is drawing you near. What's keeping you from drawing near? Why are you clinging to your sin? Why are you allowing frustration and anger dominate you? Why are you allowing the Jebusites to remain? May not be 400 years, but some of you have had 40 plus years and you're still wrestling. It's time to remember that God is fighting for you. So what do you need to do? Well, let's get rid of those strongholds. Don't let the words of the world discourage you. Look for mighty men and women around you that will disciple you. Don't try to build anything in your life apart from God dealing with you. And get near to the God who fights for you. How do I know he fights for you? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.